0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. This morning as we begin this message, I want to show you an important number. This number that I'm going to put on the screen in a second, let me get there. This number has already affected you today. You've already been impacted by this number this morning. Whether you know it or not, you have been affected by this number. And here's the number, the number 30. Anyone understand the significance of the number 30? How have you been affected by the number 30 today? Hmm? I heard something. Well, no, we're not going, we're not going real spiritual yet, Paul. <laughs> real practical. This number 30 has already impacted your life this morning, and the number 30 are the number of unique opportunities that you have to serve at New Grace Baptist Church. Every Sunday morning, there are 30 opportunities for you as a member or a regular attender of New Grace to come in and and be a servant and help and encourage and strengthen people. These are the number of chances you have to be a part of the worship services here. And these opportunities that we see every week, these 30, it's probably more, this is like a count on the top of my head, these over 30 opportunities are chances for you to help people encounter the living God. Every Sunday, 30 chances to serve God. Every Sunday, 30 chances to serve God's children, to be a part of of what's going on here. And some of them start before you even get here. People get here every Sunday morning and we, we have to turn on the lights, we have to turn on the heat or the air conditioning, we have to make sure that the system's working right, that the PowerPoint's working, that even though we we finished it during the week and we tested it on Saturday, that it's still going to work on Sunday because that's not always a guarantee. And so make sure everything's working the way it should. Make sure the lights are on. Make sure the coffee's brewed. Make sure the doors are unlocked. Make sure the bulletins are folded and ready to be put in your hands. Make sure just that when you walk through the door, you have the the perfect opportunity to relax and to worship God. People have to run the cameras. People have to run the soundboard. People have to run the PowerPoints that we see that during the services, you can see big giant number 30s on the screen. That didn't happen by magic. Somebody's going to do that. And these are opportunities for you to serve. And all of these things, all of these opportunities, they're done by volunteers. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of that I just named, they're done by me. But I don't do it because y'all pay me to do it. I do it because I'm I'm a church member here. This is my church. I was talking to. Saw so Lewis a couple last week and he was talking about somebody, you know, he didn't understand people and pastors who didn't get involved in work days at churches. Because he said, Oh, he to some pastors that he knew, they wouldn't get involved in work days. He thought it wasn't part of their job. And I understand that, you know, the work days aren't part of your salaried position, but to me, this is I'm not just a pastor of this church. I'm a member of this church. This is my church too. I get to serve. So I want to take care of it. I want to help the property look nice. I want to make sure things are are functioning properly. So we have these 30 unique opportunities every week where you can use your gifts to serve God, to serve the church, and to help people worship God. Now, of course, the people on the stage get most of the attention. The singers... The inst- people who play the instruments, the, the musicians, the, the preacher, they get all the attention. And so that's, a, that's the, the, the flashy stuff. But honestly, without the other stuff that goes on behind the scenes, this stuff's not as effective. If we don't have somebody back there to work the soundboard, you, you have a hard time hearing me. Now, that wasn't the case when we were at the garden center where the, you know it's 15 feet wide and I could talk regularly and you could hear me without a microphone. But now, we don't have the sound system. It's a little harder to hear. It's a little harder to concentrate. And so we've got to have somebody turn on the lights. If no one turned on the lights, we'd be sitting here in the dark. If no one opened the doors, we'd we'd be sitting outside. And let's be honest, if y'all showed up here and the doors were locked, how many of you would actually stay and wait for me to come to the parking lot? None of you. I wouldn't even stay. So yeah, the stuff on the stage gets the attention, but the stuff that goes on behind the scene is just as important. What happens on Sunday would not be possible without every single one of these service opportunities being taken care of. And that doesn't even include the stuff that goes on during the week. The cleaning of the buildings, the maintenance of the property. When something breaks, it's got to be fixed. You know, several months ago, we were having a a, a doozy of a time with our flat roof out there, and we had one leak and so, me and a bunch of men got up on the roof and fixed that one leak, and in the process, caused a hundred more. And so, we had to get the roof fixed. And it took us a couple of times to have the people come back out and keep sealing it, and finally, because there just were little leaks everywhere. But eventually, we got all the leaks found. But the hallway tiles were ruined. Dozens of them, just ruined. But they're not anymore. They're fixed now. Who did that? The, the, the tile fairy? No. Someone came out and used their time and their talent to serve the church. To make sure that the, the vestibule looked nice. To make sure when people came in, visitors came in and look up and see. uh, I don't want to come here, the ceiling's leaking. It wasn't leaking anymore, but we had to, had to fix those. So there's stuff that goes on during the week. The community closet, the Samaritan closet, all these things are opportunities that we have to serve God, and they're filled by your brothers and sisters in Christ. People using their time and their talent and their resources to not just serve God, but to serve you, to serve his church. And I'm bringing this up because this year we're focusing on things that matter. We're trying to look at things that really matter to God, and see how we can focus on them to really make this year, 2020, the most productive year in New Grace history. Not not for us and for we can look back and say, hey, look, we grew so much or we had this much offering. So we can look back and say, look how God used his church to build his kingdom for his glory. And we, we saw that we need to focus on faith, trusting God. A lot of us struggle with that. We struggle with stepping out on faith. We know what the Bible says. We know what the, the scriptures tell us. But we struggle with, with stepping out on faith and trusting God. We saw last week we need to focus on the word and worshiping God. We need to focus on, on, on serving God and worshiping God and praying to God. Now today, we are going to look at the book of Acts. Look at get the same, same chapter we looked at, verse we looked at last year, last week. And we're going to see why this church was so successful. We saw last week one of the reasons they were so successful is because this church, of course, it's, a, it's an incredible story of church growth. They go from about 120 to 20,000 church members in six months. That is incredible growth. That, is, that growth, honestly, is too fast. Now, they were able to do it because the first church didn't have church buildings like we think about it. You know, we think of the first church, and we think, oh, well, they went to the first Baptist church of Jerusalem, and they gathered together at 10 o'clock for Sunday school and 11 o'clock for worship service, and Peter and Paul got up and preached, and the congregation was full. The the first church really consisted of daily services in people's houses and in, in synagogues or in public squares where they could get people. So people are like, we need to get back to how the first church did it. Great, I'll be at your house Monday morning. Then we'll go to someone else's house this Tuesday morning. And we'll go every day to someone's house and just preach the gospel. That's what the first church was like. But still, they went from 120 to 20,000 people. That's a lot of people to care for. And because of this, trouble started coming. And so they decided to focus on what, was matter, what mattered. And they said, we are going to focus on the word and prayer. They focused on seeking God. Together, But another reason that they were successful is because they also focused on serving one another. Christ in them gave them a love for each other, and that love for each other was expressed through serving each other. See, those that serve, not just here, but really serve in any church, that help the worship services, they do it because they love God. They do it because they love Christ. But they also do it because they love their church and they love their church family. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And you may think, because you come here on Sunday and the lights are on and the heat's on, I know it's not as as, as high as you would like, but it's on as high as I would like, so there we go. I'm the one that sweats up here. And so the heat's on and the sound's on. You think, man, all the needs are being met, but they're not. There are needs of this church that, that go unmet from time to time. And here's an impact statement I want you to see. God meets the needs of the church through gifted people who are in the church. That's God's design for his church. He gives the church people and gifts those people to use them in his church for his glory. So here's what that means. If you are here this morning, God sent you here because you're needed here. There is something in this church that God has sent you here for you to do. God sent you because you're needed, and you are gifted to meet that need. And we're going to see that in Acts chapter 6. So turn to Acts chapter 6. We'll start reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected, in the daily administration, so of course we see this here. the church is growing very rapidly, the church is going quickly, and because of this, a complaint comes. A problem arises in the church. and look how they solve it in verse number two. Then the twelve called the multitudes together of the disciples unto them and said, "It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you, seven men of honest report, of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Porteous, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Farmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. I didn't need to do that, Uh, of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid their hands upon them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. So this church, they're growing they have a, a problem arise, there's an issue that arises, and so they, they make a decision, all right, pick out seven men who their job will be to care for the, the ministry or care for the needs of the members of the church. They also decided we're going to focus on prayer, we're going to focus on the Word, and we're going to focus on what matters. And because they focused on what mattered, God continued to use them mightily. This church, of course, the Bible says in verse 7, they multiplied the disciples, they continued to grow, they continued to prosper, but eventually these disciples would go out of Jerusalem and they would go throughout the Middle East and the entire known world. And the Bible says later on in Acts, that this church turned the world upside down for Christ. Why? Because they focused on what mattered. They focused on praying, they focused on the word, and they focused on serving each other. And because of that, God used them to accomplish his mission of spreading the gospel. And my prayer for 2020 is that we as a church would focus on these things. It's not that we're not already doing it, but that we would take it to the next level. So I want you to, want, to, want you to see how God uses us to accomplish his mission. As we continue to see things that we need to focus on, I want us to see the need on focusing on serving each other. So why do we need to focus on that? Well, number one, every church has needs. Every church has needs. No matter what size it is, no matter what city it's in, no matter what nation it's in, every church has needs. How do I know that? Because where you will find people, you will find needs. If we didn't want this church to have needs, we just, nobody show up. No one comes, there's no needs. But when people come together, you find needs. This was true in the first century church. People started gathering And they had needs. They had problems that arose. And it's true in the church today. Now, some needs are reactive needs. You serve in response to a problem. You see a need, and you do something to help with that need. And that's what happened in Acts. A need came up. What was happening? Some of the widows were being neglected. Some of the widows were being overlooked, and so this need arose, and they reacted to this need. Now, again, the Bible says in verse number 1, <clears throat> it says, In those days the number of the disciples were multiplied. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected. Now, neglected is a, is a powerful word in English. You neglect your children. You are subject to charges. Subject to police coming in or social services coming in and taking your kids. So when someone says, oh, they were neglected. They neglected their kids. They neglected their dog. It brings up kind of an abuse. An image of someone not taking care of what their responsibility was. So it's a powerful word in English, but it's even more powerful in the Hebrew, in the Greek. In the Greek... The word that's translated neglected is parathereo, and it's it's a compound word. It's two words that make up one new word. Now, the first part of the word, thereo, is where we get our English word theater. When you go to a theater, you are there, whether you see a play or a movie, you are there to see a story. You are focusing on the story that's being told because you're trying to, trying to get information to figure out what's going on and trying to figure out how you can relate to these different people. So you are focused on the story. You know, I hate when you know, somebody's watching a movie with you or somebody's watching a TV show and you've been watching it for the same amount of time and they're like, well, what's going to happen here? Well, who's that person? What are they doing? And you're like, I've watched this as long as you have. I don't know who they are, April. How would I tell you? Or what's worse is they don't pay attention. They come in like three-quarters of the way through and it's like, what did I miss? A whole lot. Don't worry about it. Watch it later. And so when you go to a theater, you are focusing on a story to get information. Now, to get information is you pay attention. But the word translated neglected here, it puts a prefix on that word therao. And it's the prefix para, which means beyond what the word literally means is their focus their attention was beyond some people and they were being neglected they were overlooking the needs of these widow women so that ha- and that can happen in a church unfortunately no matter how big the church is or how small the church is people can get overlooked People can get neglected. And that that happens here, but you, as a church member, can help us react to those needs. Someone in, in church may be sick, someone may be in the hospital, and we don't know about it. See, sometimes we know about it. Sometimes somebody gets sick or they get in the hospital and someone in their family does what they should do and they call the church and say, hey, so-and-so's in the hospital, or they call me directly. And if you don't have my cell phone number, I'll give it to you. It's no big deal. But they'll call me directly and say, hey, so-and-so's in it. You know, I get a lot of these calls from Darlene. Howard's going to the hospital. Luckily, I haven't gotten one in about a month, so I'm happy about that. But they call. So-and-so's in six, sick, sick, someone's in the hospital. Can you, can you pray? And I'll go, and I'll pray with them. But sometimes, I don't know about it. You don't, you don't tell me, you don't email me, no one puts it on Facebook or nothing, and I find out later. You know, somebody will come, hey, did you hear so-and-so was in the hospital for a couple days? No, I didn't hear about it. And I feel terrible because they got overlooked. So how can you help react to that need? Well, if you know about it, first of all, let me know. Say, hey, pastor, did you know so-and-so in the hospital today? And I can, no, I didn't. I can go help take care of it. I can go pray about it, get the church praying about it. Or here's another one you can do. Not only to call me, you hear someone's in the hospital, you can visit them too. There's no rule in Scripture that only pastors can visit people in hospitals. So, yes, call me, but also go visit them. Look, I really appreciate everybody stepped up with Fred. He was in the hospital for like 47 days. And it wasn't just me and April. I'm going to see him. A lot of church members stepped up and went to see him and visit him, and that really helped him and encouraged him. That's how you can react to a need. Someone's in a need, you react to it. So we we somehow we need to help bring people together, and so you can you can bring the need to people and and start helping serve them, help visit, help by helping these people. Another way is when we have visitors for the first time. You know, sometimes we have visitors and we're trying to get this welcome desk going where if someone comes in, we have someone there to greet them. But sometimes people come in late. Church has started. The service is going. We're singing. And someone brand new comes in. And you know they're brand new because they don't know what's going on. They're looking around. They don't know where to sit. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. How can you help them? Well, during fellowship time, go shake their hand. Make them feel welcomed. Hey, it's great to have you here. Answer their questions. Can I help you? Where do you, Can I help you take you to show you where to take your kids? Can I show you where the nursery is? Can I Can I show you where to sit? Hey, why don't you sit with me? And worship with me. Make them feel welcome. And my hope, my prayer would be that every one of us here would have this, this antennas up where we see visitors or see people who are, who are new as we can say, Hey, how can I help serve them? Because again, it's not just my job to greet them. It's not just the, the welcome team staff to greet them. It's all of our jobs as church members to make sure that people who visit here feel loved and feel welcomed. So you can react To the need by greeting them, by answering questions. We can be reactive to meet this need. So, some needs that need to be met are reactive. Some of them are proactive. We had a, we have a, they have a reactive situation and this created a proactive ministry. We see that in the book of Acts. They reacted to the widows being being neglected. And because they had a reactive need, they created a proactive ministry. They made these seven men who their job was to help the church and to serve the church and make sure everyone was getting cared for. And look, these seven men didn't do all of it. Because remember, there's 20,000 people. Seven men are not taking care of 20,000 people. But seven men are heading up ministries and getting other people to serve and other people to help. And these seven men are helping the rest of the church serve each other. This created a proactive ministry. Out of this situation, they selected these seven men to lead this new ministry. And often, the need that we react to, they birth a proactive ministry. We have those here. Right now, we have dozens of kids being ministered to and they're not just being babysat this isn't just you know we get your kids out of here because they make too much noise and we got people back in the back you know pulling their hair out just trying to keep your kids alive No, no no this is a ministry to serve and minister and teach the gospel to the kids of this church how did it come up because we had a need We started having too many kids, and so we reacted to that need, and that created a proactive ministry of our children's church. Out of a reaction, our children's church ministry was born. Now, our children's church ministry is a proactive ministry. We are ready every single week to help the children of the church worship God. People proactively prepare to give the gospel To the kids, they work, they plan, they prepare, they pray so that we can worship here while your children are worshiping elsewhere. So whether they're proactive needs or reactive needs, every church has needs. And I'm going to show you what needs means. Needs means that they're numerous. There are plenty of needs to see and to fill. Some of them you you don't even know about. Some of them you can't even see what's going on. Some of them are so far behind the scenes, you never think of them, but there are numerous needs that need to be seen and filled. First secondly, they're they're essential. The worship service will not happen if these needs aren't met. They're essential to be met. Secondly, they're endless. These are not one-time things. These are things that have to be done week in and week out, Day after day after day after day. So they are constant needs. Fourthly, they're diverse. Some needs are spiritual. Some needs are physical. Some needs are financial. Some needs are emotional. Some needs are relational. There's a lot of different diversity of needs, but they're still here. And the last one is they're significant. They are important because people are important. They matter because people matter. Every church has needs. That brings us to our second point. God meets the needs of his church. God has a plan to meet the needs of his church. I uh, skipped one. Did I? I put it out of order. Ignore that one. Number two. That's number three. Number two. God has a plan to meet the needs of church. In every church. So what's God's plan to meet our need? Well, it's our impact statement. See if I got it up there. Yeah. God meets the needs of the church through gifted people who are in the church. We saw this in Acts chapter 6. People were being neglected. The widows were being neglected. People were getting upset. And so the church came together. Look at verse number 3. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out... Where? Where? Among you. He didn't say, let's go hire somebody to do this. Let's go hire someone to take care of this. Let's get an outside source to come in. Let's get an outside company to come in and take care of this need. He says, look from among you. From among the church, seven men of honest report. God give, gives gifts to people inside the church to help meet the needs of. Of the church, the answer to their problem wasn't found outside. God said it was inside the fellowship. So what happens is we look at these seven men that these, this church called, and we think, man, they were they were incredible men. I mean, there's Stephen there, the first martyr. Here's a guy who was so bold and so full of the Holy Ghost that he preached the gospel fervently to people as they were biting him and stoning him to death. Look, I'll be honest with you. If I'm preaching and y'all get up here and start biting me, I'm probably going to stop. But Stephen didn't. He kept preaching till they threw rocks at his head. He kept preaching. And eventually he's the first martyr. He dies Preaching the gospel, we think, well, man, Stephen. I ain't no Stephen. Then you got Philip. Philip, who is an evangelist, he's part of an incredible ministry, an incredible revival that's going on. And then God calls him to go to the desert to preach to one man. And Philip leaves this incredible revival to go to the desert to preach to one man. But because he obeyed that, the gospel went to the entire continent of Africa. So God used this incredible evangelist to get the gospel to Africa. I know Philip. I know Stephen. God can't use me. So we we look at ourselves and say, I can't be used like they are. I'm not as gifted as they are. But look what Peter said. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards... Of the manifold grace of God. Peter experienced this in verse, in Acts. He, he reminds us in 1 Peter. He says, every one of you. He's talking to the church here. Every one of you has been given a gift. And that gift was given to you to minister to the same one to another. To minister to each other. As good stewards of the manifold grace. with Paul saying, Peter saying, you do have now, you may not have the same gifts as someone else. You may not have the ability to preach the gospel while people are biting you. That's a hard gift to copy. I don't have that gift either. But we all have gifts, and gifts have been given to us to minister to each other. So that brings up a third thing. God has given each of us a grace gift. Now Peter says that we've received this gifts to be stewards of God's grace. The word gift in in 1st Peter there is the Greek word charisma. It comes from the, the root word charis. Now charis is the Greek word for grace. So the gift word the root word of gift is grace. Grace is us getting something we don't deserve. It is being given something that we didn't earn. Grace is getting something we didn't earn or deserve. And so Peter's saying here, every believer has been given a gift from God by God's grace. See, what happens is at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And when he did, he gifted you to serve the body of Christ. Dr. Uh, Jimmy Milken said this. He said, charisma is the outward manifestation not of that which one is born nor inherited through the womb of the mother, but what is implanted by the Holy Spirit when one is reborn. It is that which is accomplished in and through the believer by the Holy Spirit, which would otherwise not be accomplished. Now, throughout the New Testament, God gives a, at 25 gifts of the Holy Spirit for his, church, his children to use in the church. Now, here's not an exhaustive list, but here are the examples of some of the gifts God has given us. God's given some of you the gift of hospitality. You, you, you're, just, you're hospitable to people. You're, you're open to people. You, you make people feel better. You like having people over to have coffee or Serve dinner and you're just you're very hospitable. Some of you don't have that gift. And that's okay. God's not giving us all the same gifts. But if you have the gift of hospitality, God wants you to use it. Some of you have the gift of mercy. where people who are hurting or or, or down, you can you can show mercy to them and help encourage them and strengthen them. Some of you have the gift of helping someone has a need maybe it's maybe it's it's helping move they they need to move houses and look that's mercy too cuz i hate i hate moving myself i hate helping people move but you know some people have that desire like oh somebody's moving i'm there to help them david Eccleston's crazy like that he just likes to help and some people have the gift of helping where if they see a need they're willing to get in there and do whatever they can to help. some of you have the gift of administration you're very organized you can organize things, and you can administrate things, and you can help lead things and run things, and God's given you that gift to use And the Some of you have the, the gift of giving. You're just generous, not just to the church, but you're generous to other people. Again, you see a need, and maybe you can't help physically, but you say, you know what, I can, I can. can. maybe I have an item I can give them, or I can give them some finance to help this church member with that, and so you have the gift of giving. Some of you have the gift of receiving. That's a gift, too. But those who receive need to help give. But it's how we receive. Some of you have the gift of leading. You can, you can get, maybe you're not great at administration, but man, you can get people to do stuff. As you've got the gift of leading. Maybe you've got the gift of entertaining. Kind of goes with hospitality where you can just make people feel good. You've got the gift of caring. You've got the gift of teaching. These are the types of gifts. See, what happens is we hear about gifts of the Holy Spirit. We think about gifts of healing, which are Gone. Gifts of the tongue, which are learning to speak in foreign languages really easily. We think of those gifts that get all the showmanship and all the limelight. But God says, no, some of you, I just gave you the gift of caring for people. People can talk to you, and they can, they can pour their heart out to you, and they can cry on your shoulder, and you're, you're there to listen and to encourage. And that's a gift. Look, that's a gift, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have. I mean, so, I can at a, sometimes, but at a certain point, I'm like, you know what? fix it. You <laughs> know, I'm just tough love. I'm like, get over it. April's got the gift of caring. When well, she, this, people can talk, can talk to her about the same thing over and over and over again. She just listens all the time, cries with them. And after a while, I'm like, seriously, I'm tired of hearing about it myself. But she's got that gift of caring. I don't. Some of you have that gift. That's why she has that gift. And I don't because she completes me. She takes up the, the issues. I, now, so she's got the gift of caring. I've got the gift of, of leading and teaching. And so we've we complement each other. But it's not just us in our marriage. We all have different gifts given by God to help in the church. And all the gifts of God are given to us by grace to help fill the needs in his church. Now, who does Peter says has these gifts? Let's look at his verse again. Who did Peter have, says has this gift? As every Man. That word man means person. So as every person. So who's got that gift? Every child of God. Nobody got left out. Wayne Gruden says this he goes, every man implies that every person in the fellowship of believers, in every church to which Peter was writing, had received a spiritual gift for use in the life of the church. So who was Peter writing to in first Peter? Who was Peter? He was writing to the church of the day, right? Is First Peter in your Bible? So who's Peter writing to? Us. So every church, that includes us. So every believer in every church has a spiritual gift. Nobody got left out. So here's what that means: if you know Jesus, you have a gift. You may not know what it is, but if you know Jesus, you have the gift. God has supernaturally gifted you through grace to serve in the church. I want to show you an equation. <coughs> Saved. All right. This means you have accepted Christ as your Savior. You have put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. You've been redeemed to God the Father. You are a child of God. You have God as your Savior. If that is you, if you know you are saved, let me see your show of hands. Who knows? says, I know I am saved? All right, great. Put them down. Here's the second part. Saved equals gifted. That means... If you raise your hand and say you're saved, God says you're gifted to serve in his church. Nobody gets out of it. God says if you're saved, you have a gift to be used in a church. That means every single believer is valuable. Every single believer matters. Every single believer is essential to the church Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 he says for the body is not one member but many if the foot shall say because I am not the hand I am not of the body is it therefore not of the body if the ear shall say because I am not the eye am I not of the body is it therefore not the body if the whole body were an eye where were the hearing Paul says you see a giant eyeball walk in the church first of all we're going to freak out but secondly, you're going to think, how's it going to hear? It can see great, but it can't hear anything. It can't do anything. It's got no hands. It can't go anywhere. It's got no feet. If the whole body were an eye, we're going to hear. If the whole were hearing, we're with the smelling. But now hath God set the members of every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. Paul is saying, look, every part of your body is important. Look, I know some of I know we, we think, well, you know, your, your appendix ain't that important. When it starts to get infected and burst, it is. You need it for something. I know sometimes you get sick. Well, you don't need this part of your You know, what part of your body are you really to cut off right now? Your pinky toe? You don't need your pinky toe. Cut off your pinky toe. You ever tried to walk without a pinky toe? People who don't have a pinky toe, they have to put silly putty in their shoe to keep the balance. You need your pinky toe. Every part of the body matters. The head matters, the heart matters, the eyes matter, the ears matter, the the feet matter. Every part matters, and every member of the church is essential. So your unique gift is part of God's plan for this church and for his kingdom. See, God birthed new grace to accomplish his mission, and he sent you here to help get that mission done. And we will never accomplish the mission of God without every single one of us using our gifts to serve God. There was a preacher in the 1930s named Mordecai Ham. Anyone ever heard of Mordecai Ham? Paul has, a couple people have. All right, be quiet now, don't ruin my story. Mordecai Ham was a preacher back in the 1930s, and he was used by God incredibly. Some people estimate that during his ministry, he saw over 200,000 people come to Christ under his preaching. Incredible ministry. Now, not a lot of you have heard about him, but in 1934, Mordecai Ham was hosting a tent revival in North Carolina, and he gets up, and the service is started, and he's starting to preach, and two teenage boys come in. They stand in the back, they look around, and the, pack, the place is just packed. Just wall to wall, or tent wall to tent wall, nowhere to sit, so they start to leave. Well, an usher sees them. The usher runs up and says, I'll find you a seed. So he he goes and looks around. He finds a, a pew that's got, you know, a few spaces. He has people scoot over. And these two teenage boys sit down. They hear the gospel. They go forward and they accept Christ as their Savior. Now, again, most of us have probably never heard of Mordecai Ham. Certainly we've never heard of the usher. But one of those teenage boys was named Billy Graham. We've all heard of him. He, Mordecai Ham, had over 200,000 people saved in his ministry. Billy Graham has preached to over 200,000 people in one time. Who gets the glory for that? Who gets the reward for that? The, the millions of people that have come to Christ under Billy Graham's ministry, who gets the reward? Billy Graham, of course he does. He was used by God. What about Mordecai Ham? He preached the gospel that, led, that got Billy Graham saved. But what about that usher who saw a need, and reacted to it. What about the people in the pew who didn't throw a fit, but said, sure, we'll, we'll scoot over. It takes everyone doing their part to accomplish the mission of God. It takes the whole body working together. John MacArthur said this, he Each believer's spiritual giftedness is unique as if it were a spiritual snowflake or fingerprint. It is as if God dips his paintbrush into different colors or categories of gifts and on his spiritual palette and paints each Christian a unique blend of colors. You have been given a gift from God to use in his church. That brings us to our last and final point. You have a responsibility to use your gift to serve others. Look again at what Peter said. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister. Minister. The word minister there in the Greek means to be a servant to, to wait upon. It gives the, the idea of a waiter. You know, a waiter, when they come to your, your table, they take your order, they make sure, if they're a good waiter, they make sure your, your, your tea glass is full. I hate when I, my tea glass goes empty, and I've got to shake it a lot to get the waiter's attention, or, you know, suck on it where it makes that sound. So some, hey, I'm thirsty over here. A good waiter, as soon as I take a sip and I put it down, it's full again. Sometimes I'm like, just leave the pitcher, man. It'll it'll save us both some time. But a good waiter, they, they take your order, they make sure you got the rolls, make sure you got enough butter, make sure you got everything you need. They take care of you. They wait on you, they serve you. That's what the word minister means. We are to use our gifts to serve one another. The way the word is used implies a continuous looking for a chance to serve. We we are we all live with a grace, we are to live with a the grace gift that God has given us constantly looking for ways to serve the pe- family. The problem is, too many of us, we sit back and wait to be asked. You know, I've had people say, come to me and ask why we didn't do something. You, you don't need to wait to be asked. You can see a need And served it. You know, you don't need to see a need and then ask the church, why didn't you do something? I've had people come to me and say, this was an issue, this was a need, why didn't the church do anything? And I'm like, well, I didn't know about it. And here's the thing. If you have to ask yourself, why didn't the church do anything, you got to remember, you're the church. You're the church. This isn't the church. I'm not the church. You're the church. So you come and say, why didn't the church do anything? I don't know, why didn't you? saw a need. You could have helped. You could have done. You could have gotten somebody else involved. We, as we serve the body, we are, the mission is accomplished in the church. So if God shows you a need, that means God wants you to do something. God wants you to do something. Because we've been given so much, we need to use what God has blessed us with by serving his church. Let me show you another one illustration before we close here. We all know what this is, right? It's a kitchen pot. What's the purpose of a kitchen pot? Cooking. You put something in here, you cook it, and then what do you do with it? You eat it. You consume it. You cook your soup, you eat your soup. I know this is a lot of soup. I couldn't find a smaller one. But you cook your meal, you cook whatever it is, and it's for for your family too, but you cook it, you consume it. This is my pot. What's in it is mine. And so too many of us, we are kitchen pots. You know, if something, if this, this kitchen pot gets poured out in the kitchen, what do you got? You got a mess. And you gotta clean it up. So we don't want to pour our kitchen pot. Too many of us were kitchen pots. We come to church, God fill it up. Lord, I need your word. God, I need a good music today. God, I need you to fill this up. And then we, we take it home and we, we consume it all week long. It's ours. It's our kitchen pot. Now, there's another type of pot. It's a flower pot. They both get filled up. But the flower pot, you don't pour it on yourself. You pour it on other things. So you fill this up to meet your needs. You fill this up to meet the needs of others. We need to be flower pots. God, fill it up, and then we. How can I help serve someone else? So, you need to ask yourself a question: Are you a flower pot, or are you a kitchen pot? As good stewards of God's grace, we are to serve each other. God, every church has needs. This church has needs, and God gave you to this church to fill those needs. Let's stop being kitchen pots, and let's all be flower pots.